I'm Doug Fullington. I'm manager of audience education here at PMB, and this is Swan Lake today. Uh, this is a ballet we've had in the repertory since 1981. Uh, we're not alone. It's a, a very popular ballet, our second most attended after Nutcracker, of course. And uh, we've had the ballet since 1981. This particular production that you'll see today, scenery and costumes wise, we uh, premiered in 2003 when McCaw Hall opened. And this is the sixth time that we've had it in repertory. So we do it about every three or four years. And uh, hopefully that makes the audience happy. But I know on the company side, particularly for the dancers doing the leading roles, it's an opportunity to revisit it at uh, not too long of an interval. So in particular, the women dancing the role of Odette and Odile have opportunities to return to the role throughout the career and build on it, find new ways of interpreting and sort of hone their, hone their approach. Uh, today we'll be seeing uh, Laura Tisserand as Odette Odile. This is her second time uh, tackling the role, and she'll be partnered by Corel Cruz, uh, ultimate partner in the company. So beautiful cast. Um, how many of you have seen Swan Lake before? Right, most everyone, not everyone, but most everyone. So what I'd be interested in doing is going right to questions, if you're up for that. I can talk to you about all sorts of things about the ballet, but I'd love to sort of be directed in the direction you'd like to go. History, story, our production, how we put it together, uh, what's old, what's new, anything like that, if that suits you. Uh, is there anyone who'd like to start? Yay, yes sir. Uh, it's a very long ballet. Yes, it is a long ballet. Does the company look forward to it? That's a very real question. It, yes and yes and yes. Do they look forward to it? Yes. Do they dread it? In a way, yes. Um, just it's very physically grueling, particularly for the women. A number of the women are in all four acts. Our act three and four is uh, they're performed together with a short pause, so we have two intermissions. But it means that during the intermission, you were changing your clothes, you were changing your hair, you're often changing your shoes. So once, uh, once your day starts, and their day started at 11 a.m. Uh, today, they're on stage taking class now for an hour and 15 minutes, and they'll have 45 minutes to get ready. And uh, of course, we have uh, a whole wardrobe staff and dressers that helps help people with the costumes, uh, securing them in the back. Uh, Anything that needs to be adjusted, that happens. And, uh, and you go through the ballet. And uh, people really prepare. They know what they're going to eat. They know what they need to eat during the intermissions and drink and electrolytes and uh, a banana and all this. You know, everyone has their different regimen because it's a real workout and you're putting out a lot physically. It's hard on the body too. Swans is beautiful, but it's rough. It's actually tough to stand there for so long. Uh, and then move right away. You stand and you, you cramp up and then you have, I'm probably ruining it for you, sorry. <laughs> anyway, but they, they do enjoy it. Swan Lake's famous. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of. There's a real team spirit. Everyone has their roles to do and their place to create and uh, reenact, you know, make alive again this ballet, whether it's the dancers, the orchestra, the crew, the wardrobe. Uh, I'm the person who communicates casting changes. Sometimes I'm 
little bit of like the grim reaper it seems <laughs> like okay here's what's coming down but we all have our part and i think we all we love that aspect of it and it's th they think of it as a real achievement too this is a this is true classical ballet it's demanding it's difficult but it's what they've trained to do their whole lives so uh, i think it's very fulfilling yes And um, I understand it's Tchaikovsky's first ballet and that he never knew that it was successful at the point that he died, um, or that it was going to be. But I'm just curious uh, where Ken Stowell's coming from with the choreography and what was the, I mean, it's kind of a long question, but okay. any part of it that you want to this is a question uh, about the choreography of Swan Lakes historically and uh, Kent Stoll's approach to uh, making choices of, of using traditional elements and then additional elements of his own. Um, and it's good because it will allow us to recap and I'll try not to take too long on this. But Swan Lake was first done in Moscow in 1877. It was Tchaikovsky's first ballet. Um, the genesis of the ballet is, I, th I think, is still a, just a little bit cloudy where the idea came from. I believe it came in part from Tchaikovsky, who had some, written some music for a swan-related uh, story for family members, but there were also, of course, the theater creative team. Uh, the ballet was choreographed by a man named Julius Reising Reisinger, and that choreography has not survived. We do have marked music scores that may say when certain people enter and, and some sort of logistical information. But it wasn't a failure as you often read. It was, it did okay at the box office and it was often chosen by visiting ballerinas because they liked the story and Tchaikovsky was very famous. And even though his music wasn't normal for ballet music of the time in that it's a fuller orchestration, it's quite a bit heavier in feel, it's a lot of percussion. Right away in the introduction there are multiple percussion instruments, so it's got a more heft and weight than they were used to at the time. Uh, after Swan Lake, Tchaikovsky in St. Petersburg uh, wrote Sleeping Beauty in 1890, which was very, very successful, and then The Nutcracker in 1892, which is a ballet not too successful, too short, too many children, not enough for the ballerina to do. But the music was very highly regarded. And Tchaikovsky died in 1893. By that time, though, there were plans to revisit Swan Lake in St. Petersburg and sort of rehab it into the formula that was used for Sleeping Beauty and Nutcracker, the sort of formula that the choreographer Marius Petipa had put together for structuring ballets that he'd had su success with. But Tchaikovsky did not uh, live to see that happen, but he knew it was going to happen. Uh, in 1894, there was a memorial concert where um, excerpts from operas and orchestral pieces and the second act of Swan Lake were performed. And then the next year, 1895, the whole ballet was put together and was quite successful. Not on the level of Sleeping Beauty, believe it or not, but it was successful. Um, a lot of work had gone into uh, 
tweaking the story, moving music around, uh, eliminating some of the heaviness in the orchestration, putting in some additional pieces by Tchaikovsky. Uh, there was surgery done. Um, that this particular production is the one that has informed nearly all productions since. Marius Pedipa choreographed uh, the first act, which is the Prince's Coming of Age, has the, the pas de trois, the dance for the two women and the man, which is the big piece, and the waltz. And also the third act, which is the ballroom scene with Odile and the national dances. Uh, his second ballet master, uh, Liev Ivanov, choreographed the lakeside scene. So it was a shared uh, shared choreographic job. And also in the ballroom scene, Ivanov did a couple of the national dances. So that's been all sort of squared away in history now. As Swan Lake has come down, there are certain parts that have sort of regarded as more sacred than others, if you will. Um, a lot of this first lakeside scene, the duet between uh, Odette and the prince, uh, the four little swans that follow, which is very famous, always gets lots of views on social media. Uh, but even then, there were changes. In 1895, the, the white swan duet, white swan pas de deux, had three people in it. There was the prince, Siegfried, and his friend Benno. And oftentimes in the St. Petersburg ballet, there would be a younger man that would sort of deputize along with the older partner, and that was definitely the case. The Siegfried in 1895 was in his 50s by then, and uh, so when we get to the ballroom scene, he did not dance a solo. Someone else, sort of an anonymous cavalier, danced the solo. And the audience seemed to be okay with this. We probably wouldn't be okay. We'd say, well, why is, who is that? And why isn't Siegfried dancing? And that's not right. That's what we would think now. But back then, there was just, the traditions were different, and there was leeway. Over time, these things have sort of been honed, and the things that don't fit our aesthetic have sort of been eliminated. Um, so these ballets kind of morph as you go along. Two things, I, I like to throw these in. We don't think in 1895 that there were a lot of swan-looking arms for the swan dancers, the sort of arms that move like wings and so forth. Um, early in the 20th century, uh, another St. Petersburg dancer, choreographer, Michael Fokine, made a solo for Anna Pavlova called The Swan set to the Saint-Saëns music from Carnival of the Animals. And in that, the swan dies, and she has a lot of these lyrical, more naturalistic movements. And this was a very popular solo, and Anna Pavlova was uh, extremely influential and popular. And this mode of movement uh, found a longer lifespan by being overlaid onto Swan Lake. So Odette and Odile and Swan Lake have taken on some of these movements from Pavlova's Swan. Also Odile, Odette's counterpart, was not called the Black Swan originally. She was a sorceress. She was the daughter of the wizard von Rothbart. She was a sorceress. She wore, a, uh, in 1895, a navy blue tutu with sort of coming out from the the bodice kind of sternum area, silver and gold and bright sort of uh, sort of a star pattern that would kind of blind you in a way if you would look at it. And I think that was the intent was she, she put a spell on Siegfried and blinded him so that he thought that she was Odette. In that production, he asks his friend Benno, doesn't she look just like Odette? And Benno says, 
no, because he was, didn't have the spell put on him. In the audience, it's like we have the spell put on us too because we're seeing the same dancer dance Odile as danced Odette. So coming into the, long story short, that wasn't very short, but coming into the 20th century now, it's very common with some of these iconic works when they're mounted by choreographers and stagers now to, uh, to keep a number of elements that have been considered traditional. Sleeping Beauty is the same, and we'll see that on stage again soon. But also maybe to, one, tailor it to the size of the company you have and the, maybe the level of ability or the style in which they're used to moving successfully. Two, maybe put some of your own ideas on it. If you've always wanted to see this happen in the story or you always felt it should go this way, that's an opportunity to do this. And this is been a normal approach to um, keeping these older works in the repertory in ballet. Um, Kent's choreography for this includes uh, much of Act One and the national dances in the third act, the Spanish dance, the Chartas, the Neapolitan dance, and, and all of Act Four. And yet, um, for most of it, I would call it pastiche choreography, meaning it's intended to evoke the style that the older, more traditional parts are in. Um, getting really technical, I'd say they're more neoclassical elements or elements that came into uh, ballet vocabulary in the 20th century, but they're, they're subtly, uh, subtly included. I think when we get to the duet in the fourth act, it has a little more feeling of modernity to it than the white swan pas de deux. Um, I think you could uh, rationalize that by saying the story has moved forward and, and um, the relationship between Odette and the prince is different. But um, I, I, that was the approach. Uh, he utilized children, and children were always used, almost always without fail, used in 19th century ballets. Uh, and and it always, was always important to Kent and to Francia Russell to use students from the school. And so you'll see them in the, in the first act and the third act today. That is a long answer, but it was a good question. And Swan Lake is, a, is such an interesting work because it has maintained its place in the repertory um, and yet uh, sort of withstood <laughs> changes in aesthetics and, and so forth. And ballet is always undergoing changes in aesthetics. Opera is a little bit different because you're singing the same notes that they were singing back in the 19th century. In ballet, you are moving a different way. Your body's different. You're trained a little bit differently. The training results in a different kind of body now. And so inevitably, it can't stay the same. And yet, you can do the same steps, but you look different doing them. So it's, it's a little bit of a different animal. This is a subject that interests me quite a bit. I devote quite a bit, actually, of my time to thinking about this. Uh, yes? On social media, you talked about how uh, the costume designer was the guy who did Hamilton. Yes. I'm not sure what the real answer is here. We're talking about Paul Taswell, who's the designer of the costumes today. And Paul won the Tony for Hamilton for his costumes uh, recently. And um, I'm not sure how Paul Taswell was brought to Kent Francie's attention. Um, I'm not sure. You often... Uh, 
a designer will come to a stager or choreographer's attention because they've seen a work that that designer has done. Um, or that designer will be recommended to them. Say, Lorraine Haskell, who is our costume shop manager, might say, you know, have you looked at the work of so-and-so? Or I, I th think you might... I think you might like their work. So there are different avenues of uh, recommendation, but it's often times seeing that person's work or having them be recommended word of mouth. And uh, I don't, I wasn't working full, there was a period of time I didn't work full time here between about 2001 and 2003. And this was done in 2003, so I don't know the answer about why Paul designed. I love Paul's costumes. They're very, the color palette is really broad. And I, I love them against Ming Choli's more monochromatic uh, palette for the scenery. So when the curtain goes up on act, particularly one, acts one and three, there's a real pop of color that is maintained. Uh, they're very luxurious costumes. And uh, they've, uh, we're fortunate our costume shop and wardrobe really uh, maintain them very well. And so I think they, st they still look new. Yeah. Y yes, ma'am. How many casts? We have five casts of Odette's and the Prince. Um, today is Laura Tisserand and uh, Carell Cruz. Last night was Leslie Rausch and Jerome Tisserand, Laura's husband. Uh, and it was. Leslie's third time coming to this in repertory. Tonight it's Noelani Pantastico with Seth Orza. We have debuts next week. Thursday, Elizabeth Murphy will make her debut. Uh, she'll be partnered by Lucien Postalweight. And Friday, Sarah Ricard Orza will make her debut, partnered by Dylan Wald making his debut. And Dylan's still in the core, but um, is extremely talented. And this is a great opportunity for him to to uh, sort of come into his own on stage in a major production. So five casts, that's a lot to prepare. Of other roles, we have uh, two, three, sometimes four casts. So dancers uh, rotate. Someone today might do, uh, one of the women might do the waltz in act one, a swan in act two, the chartist in act three, and a swan in act four. And tonight she might be a courtier and then a swan and then do a princess and then a swan. So it's, these are really big days. <laughs> They're very full, uh, full uh, schedules. But the dancers do like to have multiple roles and to, to rotate through roles rather than just doing um, the exact same thing each time. Nutcracker works this way too. Most people have six to ten roles in Nutcracker. And they rotate every show. It um, allows them opportunities, but it also gives them variety and gives their body some variety too, which is helpful because that's just absolute repetition. It can be rough. So, yeah. Uh, yes, please. Von Rothbard sounds familiar. Does he appear in other ballets? Von Rothbard or Rothbard Redbeard is how it translates. Uh, you know, I don't know that he appears elsewhere. Red-bearded characters in the 19th century were considered um, evil or bad. <laughs> that was the stereotype. Um, Hilarion and Giselle was often depicted with the red beard, although I don't think he's bad, but. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know the genesis of uh, von Rothbart. There, definitely the story of Swan Lake is Germanic, Siegfried, 
uh, Benno, whose full name is a, is a German name. But uh, I don't know beyond that uh, if the character appears elsewhere or a version of the character. I'm going to look, look that up, though. Someone must have looked into that. Uh, again, he, he's a sorcerer in the 1895 production, and I think 77 too. He appears as an owl at the lake. He's sort of hovering over the lake, over these women who have taken human form in the, at night and in the day are swans. Um, but when he comes to the ball, he's in a human form. So there's a lot of this going back and forth between animal and human in this ballet. Sorry, I don't have a better answer. Uh, yes, please. Oh, what do I like about the music? I love Tchaikovsky. I do. I, not everybody does. I do. I love the use of sequence in the melodies that builds and builds. I think he's a great lyrical um, composer of melodies. Um, what do I like? I love the fourth act, and I love the ending. Um, we have the big swan theme, it's in a minor key, then all of a sudden it's in a major key, but still tragic. And then the end, the end to me sounds just like a sunrise. It's very, very quiet, and then all of a sudden the horns come through right before the end, just like, for me, it's like the sun coming over the horizon. Because that's what's happening in the story, and she turns back, and in our version, she turns back into a swan because it's daylight, and she's, you know, separated from Siegfried. So I... I, I I love it. I love the Tchaikovsky ballet scores. For me, they're for 19th century ballet music right at the top. Yeah. Can you tell I'm enthusiastic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes? There are different endings, and this is a good one, too. Uh, 1877 ending of Swan Lake. So we know the story that uh, Siegfried comes of age. His mother, the queen, says you, you need to get married. Basically, you need to produce an heir. Uh, and he does not want to, he's not ready for that. So he spends, to divert his mind, he goes to, he goes off hunting with his crossbow and he and his friends go to the lake and happen upon this magical scene of these women who have, are in human form, but they must be able to tell something's not, something's off. I mean, it is the middle of the night and <laughs> all this band of women at the lake. Um, and Odette says, you know, I've been turned into a swan. The lake was made by my mother's tears. Um, and there's a wizard who turned me into a swan. But if someone pledges their love to me, I'll be freed. And Siegfried is, it's love at first sight, and he's ready to pledge his love. Um, then we go to the ball the next day where the queen has invited various aristocratic women so that Siegfried can get on with it and get married. And uh, von Rothbart comes with his daughter Odile who tricks Siegfried into believing she's Odette and he pledges his, himself to her and therefore he can't pledge himself to Odette so she is doomed to be a swan. In the original... 1877, and this libretto has been translated in English. There's a book called Tchaikovsky's Ballets that has all of this great info. He rushes off to the lake, and Odette is devastated, but in that version, Siegfried is, gets angry about the whole thing, tears the crown off her head, throws it in the lake, which apparently kills her, because when she gets her crown torn off, it's 
sort of like the sylphide and La Sylphide when, when uh, James in that ballet puts the scarf around her neck and her wings fall off and she dies. So Siegfried kills her in the first one. It's terrible. I mean, how could that go over well with the audience? So in 1895, they knew this was a problem and they needed to make Siegfried more, um, not a cad and more sympathetic. So. In 1895, he rushes to the lake, and Odette is in despair, and so is he. And uh, von Rothbart appears as an owl and conjures up a storm, and we have this wild storm music from Tchaikovsky, which they thought was a little too loud, and they tried to mitigate. Um, and Siegfried and Odette throw themselves into the stormy lake and uh, drown themselves. If we can't be together, we're going to die together. And then in an apotheosis, they're seen um, floating away in a sort of swan-shaped boat. And so they're, they're united in the afterlife. And I think that breaks, I believe that may break the spell for all the other swans. But in that one, the, the gist is that Odette and the and Prince Siegfried killed himself. San Francisco Ballet has this ending. American Ballet Theater has this ending. Uh, this was sort of the ending coming to us from 1895. But there are a number of endings. Kent, Kent Stoll's ending is different. He did not want to do, um, that ending didn't sit with him uh, well. And he thought, look, let's sort of look at it maybe from a more contemporary viewpoint and that Siegfried did pledge himself to someone else and, and that's it. They're separated and instead of this uh, sort of double suicide, they're going to be separated. And uh, the music does indicate some sort of sunrise at the end and that would be the time that Odette would turn back into a swan sort of permanently and that's what happens in this and then Siegfried sort of collapses from in despair at the end and they're separated. Which also sounds rough. But they don't walk off into the sunset together, no. But um, the music's really beautiful. I really do. I have to say, I really li I like our fourth act very much. One, it's quite streamlined. So the action, I, I like the momentum coming from the third act where everything's gone wrong. And we move very quickly into the fourth act. And uh, I, I enjoy uh, much, much of the music that was sort of excised in 1895 on, on account of uh, the feeling that it was too aggressive and too much percussion, Kent has reinstated. Uh, the first dance in the fourth act, uh, the, the 16 swans dance, it's a very melancholy, almost folk sounding piece, was taken out in place of a very light kind of salon uh, flavored waltz in 1895, but Kent reinstated the original dance of the swans, which is very beautiful. So th th there's a tone of melancholy that I think maybe was lacking in 1895 where they took that softer approach. Um, but yes, you will see different, uh, different endings to Swan Lake. Many 19th century ballets would, the action would conclude earlier in the ballet and the final act would be a wedding or a celebration. Think of Coppelia has this festive sort of village wedding. Sleeping Beauty is a wedding. Uh, Don Quixote is a big uh, celebration. But Swan Lake uh, is structured differently and the action continues to the very end of the ballet. I think that's intriguing for uh, 
choreographers and stagers, and it has contributed to uh, finding different ways to deal with the ending. As they were trying to do in 1895, too, they realized that original was not going to, that wasn't going to help this ballet live. Um, so, yeah, yeah, fascinating work. It has fought to live all these years, and it has. Yeah. Um, we have time for uh, maybe one more. Sure. Yes. How many dancers will dance this afternoon and dance this evening? Almost everybody will. Um, Laura Tisserand, who does Odette, dances Odette Odile today, will be off tonight. She'll be pretty tired afterwards. And, and also uh, Corel Cruz as the prince. But just about all the soloists and core and uh, students will be on tonight. The, very, the younger students will not. They all, they have, there are two casts of students below our professional division level. And uh, one cast danced last night and will also dance this afternoon. And then the other cast will dance tonight. Um, but just about everybody else. There's lots of roles and, uh, you know, we fill them. So, <laughs> yeah. And in and, and the multiple roles, as I said, people are taking on quite a number of roles. So. Um, it, it's been great to have a discussion this way and answer questions. I hope that it's it's been helpful for you. We don't have a post-performance uh, Q&A for Swan Lake. The reason being um, the shorter turnaround time between the, the performances, because it is three hours, and that the uh, leads are, are very exhausted afterwards and <laughs> probably need to eat something. So, uh, but we will resume that with the next rep. But uh, for now, thank you very much for being here and supporting the ballet and enjoy the performance. <laughs>